What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Sunday, April 23rd, 2023. And wouldn't you know it, we get to talk about a Cardinals win today as the Cardinals got it done in the final game in Seattle. Seven to three winners were the Cardinals over the Mariners on Sunday afternoon as the Cardinals got a very nice performance from the resurgent, the returning Paul DeYoung, who goes three for four with a home run to tack on there at the end of the game for the Cardinals, and Nolan Gorman providing the big swing of the day in a game started by Jack Flaherty, won by Jack Flaherty, in which the Cardinals got a quality start from somebody not named Jordan Montgomery. So a lot of positives to get into on the show today, which is a nice change of pace after the last couple of days and certainly last night's episode was sort of an existential crisis, right? After we saw that Cardinals loss on Saturday, the tone of B-Shape Daily certainly fit the billing there. And today, hopefully uh, a little different, but I still think at the back of everybody's mind is that question of which win can be the one that gets the ball rolling truly down the hill so that the Cardinals can begin to climb the hill away from the doldrums of well below 500 and trying to get back to, uh, I think, where we expected them to be before the season. We'll see what becomes of this team over the remainder of the road trip. It's on to San Francisco on Monday, and that's the Giants team that did get a win on Sunday, but they've been struggling out of the gate as well. So perhaps an opportunity for the Cardinals to pick up some momentum, and it started on Sunday. We'll see now whether it carries on this time. It, it didn't Wednesday when they had the 14-5 to win over the D-backs. A lot of excitement from that game. It was short-lived with the losses on Friday and Saturday, so... Did the Cardinals turn the corner on Sunday? I don't know if they did, but I think you got the types of performances from several guys that would maybe be indicative of, hey, this is the direction that if the Cardinals were going to turn this thing around, this is kind of how it would need to look. It would look like scoring runs in multiple innings. It would look like impactful swings from guys like Lars Nupar, who led the game off with a home run on the first pitch of the day from Chris Flex, and he hits the home run. Talk about some of the other offensive performances in this game as it was a pretty productive top-to-bottom effort from the Cardinals lineup today. It was one of those days where everybody who started the game at least reached base once. I think Contreras at the DH position was the only guy not to record a base hit, but he walked twice and went 0-for-1 before he was replaced by Carlson as as a pinch hitter in the DH spot. So everybody else that started the game ended up with a hit, at least one, and several guys had multiple which allowed the Cardinals on a day where they got 13 hits to dispatch the Mariners 7-3, to avoiding the sweep, that was important to see, and maybe building a little bit of momentum toward the climb, the hopeful climb, out of, uh, well, the near basement of the NL Central. They're fourth. The Reds are kind of saving their bacon a little bit, so the Cardinals didn't have to worry about last place, and I, and I don't think they will have to worry about last place. But for now, still a bit of a climb to be able to get up a little higher in those standings The Pirates off to a good start this season. The Cubs have done a nice job. And the Brewers leading the division, although they did suffer a loss today. And I do believe the Brewers are still out ahead of the Pirates. But the Pirates, I think, did beat the, I want to say they played the Reds today. I'm going to have to double-check that standings, actually. No, it is the Pirates now, believe it or not, atop the NL Central. They've won eight of their last ten to uh, land a half game higher than the Milwaukee Brewers. Pittsburgh is 16-7. and The Cardinals on April 23rd, are a clear six and a half games behind the Pittsburgh Pirates. That 
is a sentence I don't think anybody expected us to utter, but utter it, I did. Make sure you are subscribed to B-Shaped Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy Cardinals content throughout the season. And check us out on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, where I will continue to put the Patreon description, or I should say the Patreon link in the description to the videos there on YouTube. That was Felix who had requested uh, that I do that on YouTube, and I appreciate that because it is not something I thought about. But if you're interested in finding the Patreon, it's patreon.com slash bshafer12. And I'll keep putting that in the description on these episodes. I guess I could do that on Spotify, too. Would serve me well. All right, let's go ahead and get into the action from Sunday as the Cardinals got the 7-3 win. I thought Jack Flaherty was pretty good in this game. Obviously, the second inning was the one that gave him trouble. He gives up three runs in that second inning. The home run to Jared Kelnick, which, man, off the bat, what an impressive swing to go opposite field, like truly opposite field, and do so with that much power for the second-year Mariner, after a rookie season that did not go the way he had hoped last year, Jared Kelnick is looking like a dude. We've seen him do some nice things for Seattle in this series, and on the season, he's got an OPS above 1,000 to go along with six home runs and a 319 batting average. So the left-handed hitter took Flaherty deep there in that inning, and then it was a base hit. Ty France got the two-run single off of Flaherty, just a seeing-eye single through the left side of the infield to make it 3-2. to two. Mariners at that point but I gotta tell you I wasn't super concerned then I I thought that this would be a game in which maybe Jack could settle down after that and he certainly did so and I thought this was one of his better outings and he's been able to pile up I would say several outings at this point in what four or five starts that he's had have been pretty quality now today the quality start and we make a big deal out of that statistic even though uh, famously a number of days ago Ollie Marmel said "Eh, it's not really something we look at it's not like we're counting quality starts but on the outside it seems like an easy thing to count when you don't have to get beyond two to say, yep, in the course of the 21 games the Cardinals had played coming into Sunday, they had two quality starts. And Jordan Montgomery had delivered both of them. And can there be good starts that aren't technically quality starts, which for the uninitiated is six innings pitched and no more than three earned runs allowed? So six and three, which is what Flaherty accomplished today, is good enough to check that mark off the box. And it was the third quality start by a Cardinal so far this season, 22 games into the year. Now, like I said, can there be starts that are pretty good, but not quality? Sure. And so that from that perspective, I understand why Ollie says, well, it's not really something we count, but I think the Cardinals needed this kind of start, but they kind of got something close to it yesterday, right? On Saturday, it was Miles Michaelis. And we talked about the five and a third gave up three runs, kept them in the game. That's really all a quality start does. It keeps you in the game. And when you go six, you know that, all right, the bullpen's not going to have to do too much of the heavy lifting thereafter. So the outing by Flaherty kept the Cardinals in the game. Obviously, a home run and then just a a base hit with with runners on second and third is going to produce a couple of runs. And so he probably feels like the second inning was one that he may be like a pitcher two back, but not a whole lot you can do about that. Like I said, you go opposite field, you get that base hit, you put yourself into the situation, those kinds of things can happen. Uh, The the two-run single was not hard contact or anything like that. But what stands out to me is Flaherty settling in from that point on, putting up a bunch of zeros, getting through six, and striking out nine. He looked particularly sharp in this game and more than anything gave the Cardinals a chance. But Miles Michaelis also gave the Cardinals a chance on Saturday. What was the difference between Sunday and Saturday? Pretty simply, the offense taking full advantage of its opportunities. We talked last night how against Luis Castillo, 
there were definitely some missed chances with six runners left on base through the first four innings of Saturday's game. Now, in this game, the Cardinals did leave eight men on base overall, but that happens when you carve up 13 hits and you reach base five times via walk. Those sorts of things happen. You're going to end up with a a somewhat gaudy left on base total. But they came through in some clutch situations, uh, none more so than the three-run home run by Nolan Gorman to break the 3-3 tie. Nolan Gorman has been fantastic for the Cardinals this season. And I'm going to talk about one aspect that I think maybe gets lost in this conversation of, oh, the Cardinals needed to have beefed up their starting pitching, and they didn't do it. And so now we're seeing the ramifications of that. And one name that comes into the forefront of that conversation, understandably, is Pablo Lopez, who is a Minnesota twin. He was on the Marlins. It was kind of well known that the Marlins were looking to trade him and maybe get a a controllable bat for him. And the the deal they ended up doing was trading Lopez to Minnesota for Luis Arise, who uh, historically has been uh, just a really good batting average type of hitter. Uh, He's an infielder. Uh, primarily, I believe, a second baseman, but he can play short, or pardon me, he can play a little third, play first base as well. And just a really quality hitter. Not a guy that has a ton of power, but the batting, I mean, he's a, uh, I believe, former batting champion. And so far this year is off to a great start as well with a 444 batting average 20 games into the season. So he is a just a high-quality hitter. And so that was the deal that the Marlins ended up making. And... There were conversations, and I'm going to try to hunt this down on one of the recent YouTube videos. Yeah, this was a comment, now that I'm looking at it, made by Anthony on Saturday's video following the Cardinals' loss on Saturday, Game 2 of the Seattle series. Anthony mentioned in the comments section there on YouTube, youtube.com slash at bshafer12, that he agreed with a lot of what I said, but he wanted to focus on the options in the offseason. They could have gotten Pablo Lopez and they didn't bother to go get him, and now they're kind of stuck with a lot of number fours, number fives in their rotation. And that might be possible. The second part of that might be possible. But I want to talk about Pablo Lopez and the way that it relates, like his availability, for me, does relate to a guy like Nolan Gorman. Because, well, they're both second basemen. When you think about the guy that Pablo Lopez was traded for, Luis Arise, middle infielder type, good bat, controllable. I don't know when he becomes a free agent, but I, I think he's still... Got some team control. Yeah, he's got three years of service time, and so he won't be eligible for free agency until 2026. I think Pablo Lopez has maybe uh, one or two fewer years um, attached to him in terms of uh, team control. And so it makes sense. The Marlins have a lot of young pitching, and they were looking to get a bat for Pablo Lopez and maybe add some team control to that. And then I believe he was signed. uh, Pablo Lopez ended up signing a long-term deal with Minnesota when the trade happened. So they just wanted to get a bat for him, and they got Luis Arise. The Cardinals, if they were looking to make a deal for a guy like Pablo Lopez, which we've talked about how you look at their starting rotation, everybody in it is at least getting paid. Like, they all have a contract for this year other than Woodford, but Woodford's about to to be uh, moved out in favor of Adam Wainwright. And so it's not like they were going to come into the season and say, we're going to trade for Pablo Lopez and Steven Matz, you're in the bullpen, $11 million. Like, in retrospect, we could maybe look at that and say, hey, that's what they should have had the foresight to do because if we're into June and July and Steven Matz is still struggling the way that he is, then maybe you know that would end up being something that would have made sense. 
but we wouldn't have necessarily known it at the time, and the Cardinals just had signed him to that contract, right? So they wouldn't have signed him if, after an injury-riddled season, they weren't going to give him the opportunity to re-earn that spot in the rotation. Or I shouldn't even say re-earn. Like, he's going to be given that opportunity to start to begin the 2023 season. And then if things go badly, eventually you have to make other decisions. But, like, that would be the one spot in the rotation that was maybe up for grabs. But, again, Flaherty, Montgomery, Wainwright, Michaelis, those were all pretty much set in stone. And because of the money, so was Steven Matz's spot, at least coming into the year. Not saying he's going to be that way the entire year. Again, if it gets to July and his ERA is six and a half like it is right now, then th- that'll be another story. But I'm just looking at it from the perspective of the Cardinals of, hey, are we going to pursue a Pablo Lopez? Which Pablo Lopez has had a really good start to the season. He struggled in his last outing uh, on Saturday, but his ERA before that was 1.73 and now it's 3.0. So still pretty good, but did get hit around a little bit on Saturday. But if you're the Cardinals and you're looking at a guy like Pablo Lopez, okay, you know it's going to take a bat to get him. And I don't think the Cardinals had any designs on trading a guy like Brendan Donovan, who had racked up uh, an impressive wins above replacement number last year as a rookie, won a gold glove, the utility award, did a lot of really good things, and is team control, right, for a long time because it was his rookie year last year, so he's got at least, you know, five more years to go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline before he can become a free agent. Now, Brandon Donovan, just a side note, I don't know if he's still dealing with something in terms of an injury. He was out of the lineup again on Sunday. Remember, he had had the infected kind of bruise in his leg before the team went out on the road and was out of the lineup, I think it was Wednesday, because of that. And he played Friday, but then I don't believe he... I can't recall if he played Saturday or not, but no... no Brennan Donovan in the lineup on Sunday against a right-handed pitcher. So you kind of figure that's maybe something injury-related. You would generally assume that he'd be in there as a lefty. Lars Nupar let off and let off the game with a home run. So that worked out as well. But if you're looking for player comps for Luis Arias, I could see Brennan Donovan's value being somewhat similar. If you're a Cardinals fan that says, yeah, I wish they would have traded Brennan Donovan for a guy like Pablo Lopez, that's your prerogative. I don't know if that was an option for the Cardinals. I don't imagine they were actively floating Brennan Donovan in trade offers. But that's a comparable name, at least. Another guy in terms of value that I think at the time would have been comparable is Nolan Gorman. A little more team control than Arise. A little less proven, potentially, but I think more upside for sure when you talk about the power that exists within the bat of Nolan Gorman. At least the raw potential to have that power play out at the major league level. 14 home runs as a rookie last year. I would say Nolan Gorman would have been the type of player based on what Pablo Lopez ended up going for, that you could have seen a a, a deal centered around. I'll tell you right now, I think it's great that the Cardinals did not trade Nolan Gorman for Pablo Lopez. Because what Nolan Gorman is bringing to this lineup on a very consistent basis is hard to replicate. It's hard to find. And for a team that I'm not saying the Cardinals are starred for scoring because They've scored decently. I don't know exactly where they rank in in the game, but seven runs today. 
generally they have that ability to break out. I know that they have at times so far this year been a little bit spotty, a little inconsistent with producing those runs. And we've talked about with the way the pitching has gone over the, over the whole course of the season, there were only three days prior to Sunday where a, a run total for the Cardinals of four would have been enough to win that game. Only three times had the, the, the pitching staff as a whole allowed fewer than four runs in a game. Now, today was the fourth as the Cardinals win at 7-3. to three. But when you have that going on on the pitching side, you need to be able to outslug teams. Granted, if you had Pablo Lopez, would you maybe have as big of a need for the slugging? It's kind of a chicken or the egg question, I suppose. But I look at Nolan Gorman and what he's bringing to this lineup. And I, first of all, I think it's going to continue. I sat here and said before the season began that a bold prediction of mine for this Cardinals team was that Nolan Gorman would be an all-star this year. That's looking like a, a relatively prescient prediction at this point. Six home runs, 22 runs driven in. He's hitting 313, which wasn't really a, a high average guy. You didn't expect that he would be a big batting average guy. On base percentage, you figured would be there because if the power would come and he, he would take his walks, but 397 OBP, that is fantastic. To go along with a, a, a huge slug, he's got a OPS at 1054, well over 1,000 at this point in the season after a day on Sunday in which he hit a three-run homer as part of a two-for-three day. So really great stuff from Gorman. And that that swing, man, in the fourth inning really set the tone and changed the tone for the game. Good to see the Cardinals immediately bounce back in the top of the third inning to to get one of the runs back that Jack Flaherty had given up. So they were at least tied at that point. But it was Nolan Gorman that busted it open in the fourth with the three-run shot. And then Paulie D adding on the seventh to make it 7-3. to three. That's how the, the Cardinals get their offense on Sunday. And I understand that the pitching is, in particular the starting pitching, is a point of consternation for Cardinals fans. And you can make the case that, well, you're, you're, you're fixating Brendan on Nolan Gorman when, in reality, I think the Cardinals could have gotten Pablo Lopez for something else. You know, they should have traded Tyler O'Neill. They should have traded one of those outfielders. I've been saying this for a while, and it's a popular trope among Cardinals fans to say, hey, all those outfielders you guys have, got to trade one of those for a starting pitcher. And my response is always the same. If the Cardinals thought that were possible, don't you think they would have done it by now? Because John Mozeliak can see the same thing that we see, which is five outfielders for three spots when everybody's healthy. And even though I mentioned it might have been a little complicated to trade for a guy like Pablo Lopez, I don't think anybody would have denied at the time that he would have been one of their best three starters. You maybe say, you know, Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis, Pablo Lopez. And I know Miles right now has an ERA above seven, but Try to think of what he did last year and what your expectations were coming into this one. He was supposed to be one of the Cardinals' top pitchers. I don't think there's any doubt there. But you could look at Pablo Lopez and say, all right, he would upgrade the rotation. I don't know exactly who he's going to replace, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Might be a little complicated, but if we can get that kind of pitcher, yes, it, it adds some, uh, some firepower to a Cardinals rotation that clearly at this point is hungry for that kind of arm. So if that kind of pitcher was going to fall into the Cardinals' lap for an outfielder, which even if the outfielder is talented, it's kind of a spare part based on who they had coming back, which I don't know if everybody realized at the time that Jordan Walker would make the team, and I certainly don't think everybody realized the the role that Alec Burleson would have at this point in the season. I mean, from day one, he was a guy that has been integral in terms of the way Ollie Marmel has has built a daily lineup. And I don't know if everybody would necessarily have expected that. Now, Burleson was not in the starting lineup today for the Cardinals. We'll talk about 
as we get into this Gorman conversation, how much I like the lineup that they put together today. Was surprised to not see Tommy Edmond in there, especially after homering from the left side last night. But Paul DeYoung made his return today. And, of course, when a guy comes back off the injured list and has been raking in Memphis, which doesn't always translate, but when you have that situation, you're not going to call a guy up and just have him sit. Makes sense to get DeYoung in the lineup. And if you look at Tommy Edmond, he's played a lot, and so I think it just made maybe sense to give him a rest day, day game after a night game, that sort of thing. So it all kind of came together for that. But in conjunction with that was Nolan Gorman batting in the three-hole. Goldschmidt batting second, Arenado batting fourth. I really like that. With a lefty leading off Newt Bar, you go left-right, left-right. And then Contreras was still fifth. But that was a nice way to break things up, I think, at that spot in the lineup. And it affords the Cardinals an opportunity to have one of two things happen when you get into the late innings. Either Nolan Gorman in the three spots, sandwiched between the two MVP candidates who hit from the right side as a lefty bat, he's going to either get a right-handed reliever to face because they're not going to want to bring in a lefty to face Goldsmith and Arenado because that those guys both kill lefties. Or, yeah, Gorman does have to face the left-on-left, left, but you get the benefit of having those right-handed sluggers be able to face a lefty reliever. So I like that alignment. I know Ollie had been reluctant to split up Goldsmith and Arenado. Talked about, you know, he's going to follow the lead of where the guys say they're comfortable. They asked... Right after he signed, they asked Wilson Contreras, where do you like to hit? Number five. Okay. Five it is. And it was the same kind of thing, by the way, with like Tyler O'Neill. Where do you want to play? Well, I'd like to play center field. Came to the team in spring and said he would like the opportunity to win that job. Okay. Let's see you run with it. I think this has been a team and a management group that has been willing to sort of follow the lead of the players. And if possible, stick with the things that they're most comfortable doing. Now, at at a certain point, you got to try something else, right? And right now, nobody would have argued coming into Sunday that, well, things aren't working, right? Things aren't going great. So what have they done? Well, Tyler O'Neill doesn't play center field as much anymore. They tried that for a couple of weeks. Now maybe they're trying something different with the lineup. And I think this is something that could potentially stick. Goldsmith batting second, I think, is a nice fit. Arenado batting cleanup, like he still gets to be where he wants. That's kind of the spot that he likes. He doesn't look right at the plate right now, by the way. And I got a lot of questions about Arenado and his swing. And the fact that it looks like he's following through with his top hand all the way through. But it's like, I don't know if he's getting the... He's he's having a lot of check swings right now that don't look right. One of them was a check swing tonight that he... I mean, he flew out on it. Kind of popped it to the left side. But I don't know. It just doesn't look 100% right to me for Arnado right now. Trying some different things with the swing. Ideally, he works that out. I don't think it's going to be any any sort of huge thing. He was one for five today, so still did get a base hit. But yeah, admittedly, things are it looks a little clunky right now for Nolan. But nevertheless, like where the lineup is at, and I like that Gorman batting third, especially the way that he's hitting right now. I think it it's something that helps the Cardinals lengthen their lineup, but also have it be in a sensible position when you get into the second half of a game. It makes it difficult for opposing managers to figure out well who are we going to put against this murderer's row. And I think right now Nolan Gorman is part of that. I would I would classify him as part of that. And so you want him batting in the middle of it all. You want him in there in the same conversation with Goldschmidt, Arenado, Contreras. That's a dangerous two through five in the order. And I like it being aligned that way for sure. But to get back to kind of the conversation of a Pablo Lopez, if the Cardinals thought they could have done that for a spare outfielder, I think they probably would have done it. 
I don't think Tyler O'Neill was a guy that was getting a lot of attention from other teams in trades this offseason. You might say, well, I heard, you know, Ken Rosenthal said Tyler O'Neill was being floated to the Marlins in a potential trade. Yeah, Rosenthal reported it, so I'm sure it happened. But see the way that played out. Did he get traded to the Marlins? No. So what probably happened? The Marlins said, well, okay, thanks, but no thanks, right? They maybe weren't interested in whatever iteration of the trade that was kind of being discussed. And so I I think it's easy for Cardinals fans to go, well, they should have traded O'Neal, they should have traded so-and-so, and then they could have gotten Pablo Lopez. I don't really think so. I think the Marlins are happy with the guy they got. Like I said, he's hitting 440 in 20 games into the season. And if you were to look comparable on the Cardinals, I think Nolan Gorman is the, the, the name that would pop up. And to me, it's a good thing the Cardinals didn't trade Nolan Gorman for Pablo Lopez because, like we said, he's in the three-hole tonight and was the reason the Cardinals won this game. On Saturday, we were looking for something to get a little bit better, right? Somebody to make a big swing in a clutch situation or a pitcher to make one more pitch, not allow that extra run so that then the bullpen could lock things down. They they had everybody on Saturday that had an opportunity to to lift the team over the top. They had everybody kind of drop the mantle, and they, they were not able to get it done. Totally different story on Sunday, and Nolan Gorman was one of the big swings that you had. Jack Flaherty holding down the forward after the second inning was a huge part of that, but it was nice to see Nolan Gorman and, and the rest of the offense come through with a nice day. Like I said, everybody with a hit but Contreras, and he walked twice and then got pulled early, so... He probably would have had a hit later on, just didn't have a full day of work at the plate. Just three plate appearances, and he goes 0 for 1 with two walks. Big day for Nolan Gorman. Had the big swing. This is what it would have cost, I think, to get a guy like Pablo Lopez. Are there problems in the rotation? There are. And at the time, I thought maybe the Cardinals would trade Gorman. If you go back into the offseason and listen to some of the podcasts, which I don't know why you would do now, but I can jog your memory. I remember what I said. I said that if the Cardinals are not going to give Gorman the opportunity to kind of spread his wings and then have some failure and work through it by still being an everyday player, if they're not willing to give him that latitude, which at the time I wasn't convinced that they would because I kind of saw, okay, Edmund's going to be the shortstop. They really like Brendan Donovan, so he's going to play a lot of second base. And Jordan Walker's coming, so the outfield's going to be crowded. I was right about that. But I kind of thought, well, I don't really know where... Gorman fits in other than a pretty regular DH, but if you have a bunch of outfielders and you want to see those guys get at bats too, then maybe there will be an outfielder in the DH spot relatively often. And Nolan Gorman will be an option there, but what happens when he goes through an 0 for 11 with six strikeouts in the middle of May or June, do the Cardinals go, okay, this was fun, we tried it, but nah, we're, we're going to have to send the playing time elsewhere. I thought the answer to that was was going to be yes kind of what happened to Gorman last year. Now, in fairness, they had a guy named Albert Pujols last year who who sort of took claim to the DH spot as the season went along and was doing some historic things. So you can understand how maybe a guy like Gorman got lost in the shovel. The thing I didn't count on about Gorman, and I thought he could still, you know, bounce back and be a good player, but the thing I didn't count on was him to take so seriously sort of the the things the Cardinals wanted him to work on in the offseason, attack it, and then coming to spring, a completely different guy. We heard a ton of times from Ollie Marmel in spring that Ollie, that uh, that Nolan Gorman is a different guy this this spring coming into the year. And they they wanted him to work on addressing his the hole in his swing at the top of the strike zone, the fastball high, to be able to catch up to that pitch, which then allows him to be in a, in a better position to hit whatever else may come his way. 
pitch recognition has gone up. He's just a different guy. And he's been really the Cardinals' best hitter to this point. OPS of like 1050, that's that's going to track. So when I was sort of predicting that the Cardinals wouldn't give that opportunity to Gorman to fail and kind of see his way through some failure, I didn't realize he, it's not to say that he still can't have some failure, but I didn't realize he wasn't going to fail because he was too good to fail. I, I didn't know that was going to be the case. So the Cardinals had bigger plans for Gorman than I realized. Kudos to them for hanging on to him. No, if you say, well, they should have gotten Pablo Lopez for something else. That is not really how trades work. You know, maybe Brendan Donovan would have been comparable, but I think by the end of the year, you'll be glad the Cardinals hung on to Brendan Donovan as well. He's injured right now, and so it's not like I can point to today and go, hey, see, he did some great things. I, I think it's an injury. That's the only reason that would make sense to me. Other than like, well, hasn't been performing super great, did deal with a little bit of an injury, and you've got other guys performing well, and so that was just the the squeeze on the situation. They wanted to get Contreras off his feet, so Kisner caught today. You had Contreras in the DH, which meant that Gorman was in the field. So maybe it was was just as simple as that, and the answer might be out there somewhere. I'm not in Seattle or, or heading to San Francisco with the team, uh, so I don't know what reports have exactly been out there. I didn't read a lot today, so I have no idea. But long story short, I feel like folks are going to be happy that Nolan Gorman's around. The pitching is still going to have to solve itself, but I just don't know if the Pablo Lopez thing was was destined to happen. And if it had happened, like if it would have been Gorman for Lopez, you still making that deal as a Cardinals fan? I would think most of you would say no based on the way Gorman is playing. I get it. Lopez might be an ace type, but Gorman is is controllable for a, a more affordable contract as well in terms of the, the annual salary that he'll get. He's going to be around for a while because he's got plenty of team control remaining. And the Cardinals seem to have a good one on their hands. Lars Nupar is another good one. Three for five today. A couple of runs scored and led the game off with the home run. That's kind of a great way to get the ball rolling. The offense was good today. O'Neill went one for five. Walker had a base hit. Kisner had a base hit. And a run scored. Paul DeYoung. That's probably notable. Somebody else that, that would get some discussion. I said famously that, guys, don't worry about Paul DeYoung coming back. He's going to be the 26th man. and He's going to replace Taylor Motter, which happened. They DFA'd him. And he's not going to play a ton, right? But they are going to give him the opportunity at the beginning to maybe see if that spark is there, and they'll let him run with it if he if he has it. But people were so worried about, well, he's going to come back and he's going to take it bats away from these other guys. And I said, well, not really. I don't think that's going to be the case. But he was in the lineup today. Again, I think Edmund just, you know, you give him a, a partial day. He did come in to pinch it and finish the game at second base. But Paul DeYoung going three for four, hitting a home run, like, it's not a bad thing if he ends up kind of regaining his form offensively. Do I think he automatically is going to do that after one day of doing it? Well, no. I, I'm I'm, st- I'm going to say you can still be skeptical if you want. It's okay to be cautiously optimistic as well. He's done this before, right? He comes back, he's locked in, and then it sort of trails off from there. But I would say don't be – it's okay to be skeptical, but don't be angsty about Paul DeYoung. Because if if worse comes to worse and he's he's not really performing at the plate, he's not going to get a lot of playing time. If he continues to hit well, they are going to play him because, I mean, you should play anybody that's going three for four. If he can continue that kind of pace, well, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. So I think they're going to give him a little bit of latitude. Like, I'd put him back in the lineup on Monday. I don't know exactly how it would look. Top of mind, I don't know exactly who they're going against in terms of the uh, the pitching matchup. But generally, I would say, like, if, if Paul DeYoung is looking good, Find a way to keep him in there for now. But I wanted to, to bring that up because a lot of people were, I would say there was consternation among Cardinals fans to say, 
oh man, Paul DeYoung's back. Like that, you know, fun's over. A lot of people are down on Paul DeYoung, and I get it. But I think it's okay to be pleased with the way he performed. You can also feel happy for him for his ability to get back, have a nice day on Sunday. We can keep it all in context, though. We don't have to just assume that he's going to be a regular or a a great performer or any of those things one day at a time, but the first day looked good for Paul DeYoung, and that's okay. Like, again, I don't know if Taylor Motter had options remaining or not. There was kind of some debate over that. But either way, the Cardinals might have said, well, well, we'll designate him for assignment because Paul DeYoung fills that same role, and he does it with a lot more upside. Better defender, better potential in the bat for power. You saw that power today. Cardinals weren't worried about it. And I think it's an upgrade to the roster. I think the Cardinals got better with this move, Paul Young being back healthy. Don't really need to fixate on it much more than that, though, because, again, you're talking about a guy that if he does go through a bit of a slump, he's a 26 man. He's the end of your bench, defensive flexibility on the infield. But for right now, he is a guy that you know gave the Cardinals, I think, a bit of a spark on Sunday, and you may continue to do that. So we'll see. I looked it up. It's Alex Cobb pitching for the Giants on Monday. Cardinals will send out Jordan Montgomery. Big bounce-back opportunity for him. But, yeah, so a right-handed starter going for San Francisco. Even still, I bet Paul DeYoung will be back in there. We'll see. It might be dependent on Brendan Donovan. But if you go three for four with a home run and your guy that the Cardinals are trying to get going, give him a little bit of confidence, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in there on Monday. But I think the big moral of the story for Monday is going to be, what does Jordan Montgomery give you? Because I think this offense right now for the Cardinals is it's slowly starting to turn into something that, again, seven runs today. You score seven runs. Most days that's going to be enough. But it could be a bit of a struggle. Alex Cobb has been off to a good start, 2.79 ERA. Cardinals usually kill lefties. Here's another righty, but they did a nice job against uh, Flexen, who he has also struggled. But they did a nice job against him on Sunday to where maybe they can build a little bit of confidence off of that. And can they, for the first time, win the first game of a series? Can they win a series opener on Monday? That's going to be the question. Jordan Montgomery going to try to make it happen. But what do you think of this Cardinals win from Sunday? Again, it's not all that much to celebrate. You're not necessarily throwing a parade because they avoided a sweep for the second time in consecutive series. But it's nice to see, right? It's nice to see that kind of effort offensively. It's nice to see the outing that you got from Jack Flaherty. And a relatively easy win, right? It wasn't, there was no consternation in the late innings. 7-3, 7-3, Cardinals win on Sunday. The bats came out. I like what Jack Flaherty gave them as well. You're still looking for like that elite start. You haven't had that in a while. Maybe Jordan Montgomery gave it to you. He had like a seven-inning, two-run outing or something earlier as one of those quality starts. Other than that, there haven't been really any starts that you're going to hang your head on and go, that is what an ace would do. Still haven't had that, but you've got guys that I feel like collectively are working toward that. Montgomery needs a bounce back, though, after the the last game that he had given up. I think it was a sixth spot in the fourth inning. So we'll see what he's able to do on Monday. But let me know what you think about this Cardinals win. Let me know in the comments section there on YouTube. You can tweet at me. You can direct message me at bshafer12 on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. Make sure you like the stream, like the videos on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube, and check us out, too, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Going to be another late night, 8.45 p.m. Central start time on Monday, but I'll be recording in the uh, wee hours once again Monday night so that you can have B-Shape Daily to wake up to every morning this week. So appreciate you guys, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily.
Peace.